Let's go to the Lord and let's ask Him to bring His Word to our hearts, to bless us as we seek Him in His Word. And let's pray that His blessings would reach to the farthest reaches of San Diego. Pray with me. Father, thank You for being our God. Thank You for the life that comes from Jesus. Jesus, thank You that You came for needy folks. And Lord, when we look in, um, we all have needs. Thank you for loving us where we are, um, for coming down and being with us. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that you have opened doors so that we can work with the city to bring faith-based programs uh, to people that are in need. Um, thank you for the, for the many here at Harbor who have participated, who have given uh, to make those, uh, those move-in kits also, just to, to be able to build relationships with folks who, who need not a hand out, but a hand up. They need relationships that will help them grow. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless the church's efforts. Not just Harbor, but all the churches in San Diego. Help us to love the city the way we do. Help us to love our neighbors as we love you. Thank you for showing us how to do that in the gospel. Father, now as we come to your word, open our hearts, uh, teach us and lead us so that we have a better sense of who you are and we would know better what you're doing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Um, if you don't, the scripture uh, that we're going to look at is on page 6 in your bulletin. There's a place to take notes on page 7. We'll pull it up here on the screen. Um, we're going to be looking, we're going to be focused in the sermon on verses 11 to 14. But uh, verse 11 says, About this we have much to say, so we need to jump back and see what he has much to say about. So we're going to catch the context by starting in verse 7 um, and then reading through verse 14. So this is Hebrews 7, I'm sorry, Hebrews 5, verses 7 to 14. Friends, listen, this is God's word. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what we're going to focus on today. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is God's word. So this passage of scripture, it's addressing a problem. It's speaking, and right out of the gate, the author's coming for his hearers. And so there's a problem. The problem is that they don't want to learn. Right? They don't want to learn. It says in verse 11, they become dull of hearing. It means that 
It's trying to help them grow and develop their tongue. Excuse me, I'm sorry, were you saying something? <laughs> They're checking their watches. They're looking on their iPhone. They're wondering, like, oh, where are we going to have lunch? Where are we going to, I mean, this is what's going on here. And he recognizes that, so he calls them on it. He says you become dull of hearing. And it's, it's actually worse than that. Because if you read the book of Hebrews, I actually studied the whole book this week as, as I was getting ready for this, because I wanted to understand what was going on in the lives of these people that would cause the author to say these things. And it's interesting, these folks, they're not just yawning when the teaching starts. They're actually leaving the faith. These are people who had become Christians. They begin to follow Jesus, and they're starting to leave Jesus, and they're going back to the Old Testament. Christians are drifting back into Judaism. Okay, and so they're leaving Christianity for Judaism, and they were doing this um, because they were actually shrinking back from persecution. To be a Christian in those days meant that people didn't think very highly of you. To be a Christian in those days meant that you'd be ridiculed, you'd be made fun of by the culture shapers. It meant that um, people might insult you, people would misunderstand you, people said bad things about the Jesus that you followed and about everybody else who followed him. But it was even worse than that. I mean, I think we can identify with that. That's actually not much has changed. But for them, persecution was worse. There were people who were being captured, imprisoned, tortured, and even killed because they were claiming that Jesus was Lord. They were claiming that they were followers of Jesus, and Jesus was the crucified but risen from the dead Lord of everything. And so what happened was these folks looked around, and they recognized that I mean, if you know somebody who's been in a situation, or I mean, just think about the, the minor feelings of fear that you have when you think someone is going to look down on you for being a Christian, right? Now, imagine if people were authorized, if they found out if you were a Christian, authorized to call the police and have you arrested and thrown in jail, and then who knows what's going to happen after that. That was the daily experience of the Christians to whom this author is writing. Okay, that's what they were dealing with. And when they looked around, they thought, you know what? Wait a second. There's another group of folks that follow the same Bible that we do, and nothing's happening to them. Those are the Jews. And, and you know what? Jesus was Jewish. And you know what? Jesus obeyed the Old Testament laws when he was alive, so let's just go and be with them. This is part of the thinking. This is part of what drew them. They were trying to avoid being persecuted. Um, and the author here, throughout the book of Hebrews, he's saying that what this does, this actually compromises the gospel. Verse 13 actually says, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Okay, unskilled in the word of righteousness. This is, um, they're unskilled in how God fulfills his promises in terms of what God has done to save the world and how God makes people righteous. What these folks who were drifting, who were going back, who were leaving the faith, what they were saying, they were saying, look, yeah, it's, it's through Jesus, but you know what? <clears throat> Following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is hard. And the problem is that to go back to the Old Testament, 
actually denies that God came to save the whole world. Okay? And so think about this with me. Don't be dull here. <laughs> think about this here with me. Um, what it does is if, if these Christians went back to Judaism, what they're saying is it makes it look like God only came to save one nation on earth. Makes it look like God came to save Israel, this one nation. And if you want to know God, then you have to become Jewish. Okay, because if the followers of Jesus all became Jewish, then the message is really clear. Right? If you want to follow Jesus, you too have to become Jewish. You have to obey the Old Testament laws, you need to be circumcised if you're a male, you know, all of that. The problem is. That's a denial. The, the whole reason Jesus came, right? Jesus came because God so loved the world. the world. He didn't just love one nation. He loved all the nations of the earth. God came to save all the nations. Jesus, even in the Great Commission, he said, go into all the nations and make disciples. And so Jesus' plan was to come and save every nation. And he sent his followers into the nations, not to make the nations Jewish, but so that people from every nation would become Christians. And so this is part of the problem. And so the author, in earlier chapters, the author compares these folks to Israel, actually. Compares them to the Jews when they left Egypt in the Exodus, and they were crossing through the desert, going to the Promised Land. Okay? And the author compares these folks to the Jews who were on the way to the Promised Land, but they fell dead in the desert. They didn't make it. They didn't actually make it to what God intended. Okay, and so he tells them they never entered God's promised land. And the implication here is that if you go back, you won't enter into God's promises either. So this is a problem for them personally. It's a problem for the world. If Jesus wants to get this, this message out, this message of salvation, so he calls them that. But then here in our passage, he says they're not like the Jews on the way to the promised land, but he says they're children. He says they're children. They're spiritually childish. He says by not making progress, by not going on, by not continuing to live out the mission of Jesus, even when it's hard, even when it's hard, he says you're not progressing anymore. In fact, you are regressing, and you've become child. Another way to think about this is to say that they had kiddie pool faith. Kiddie pool faith, that's what we've got here. It's a kiddie pool. Michael texted me this morning, he said the AC was broken, and so I thought, hey, I'll keep y'all cool, but no, I'm kidding. Um, this, and now, now, so this is a kiddie pool, right? Kiddie pools are great. They are fantastic if you've got a six-month-old, a one-year-old, Maybe even a two-year-old, right? They're, they're amazing, right? The water goes up, you know, sometimes I'm definitely at your ankles. A little baby can sit in here and play and enjoy himself or herself. I mean, you can have a great time. Kitty pools are amazing, right? They're fantastic tools. If you're a parent with a child this old, they are, I mean, you got to watch them, but they provide hours of entertainment. It's like, if you add water, you just, it's like automatic babysitter. I mean, you got to be there, but you know what I'm saying. And so, so kitty pools are great. If you're young, right? Kiddie pools are great when you're just starting out. What this author is saying, though, is that 
if you're still, let's say it's been three years, right? Let's say it's been 10 years. If, if you were to come over to my house and I were to say, hey, you know, it's a great day, it's hot, hey, come on over, let's have a barbecue in my backyard, right? So you come over and you grab a drink and you see me out on the grass and I am laying in the kiddie pool. <laughs> like, what are you going to think? Move <laughs> over. If you say move over, we have a problem. I don't belong in a kiddie pool. Right? There's a point at which, if you've lived long enough, you don't belong in a kiddie pool anymore. Right? And so, what is kiddie pool faith? Just a couple things. Verse, it's interesting, in verse 12, he says, for though by this time, right, by this time, by this time, it's interesting, he's saying, look, y'all should know that. <clears throat> by this time, these are folks that have learned. They've been following Jesus. And he's saying, look, by this time, you don't belong anymore in the kingdom. And so kiddie pool faith, what does this look like? Well, sometimes it can look like, you know what? I don't want to learn. I know enough. I'm going to heaven, so it's cool. Like, I don't, you know, don't stretch me. I don't need to do anything. Right? I just believe. Now, there's a point in your life where actually that's a wonderful thing to know and to believe and to trust. But this author is saying, by you should be beyond that range. For these Christians, their kiddie pool faith looked like, you know what, God, I'm with you as long as nothing bad happens. That's kiddie pool faith. People would say, you know what, God, I will love you and I will serve you as long as it makes my life better. If you're offering me I mean, for some folks, if you offer me, like, a better job, if you offer me a better life, if you offer me a relationship, if I follow you, let's, like, let's make this agreement, Lord. Okay, I'll serve you if you serve me. This happens a lot, like, for me in my own experience, especially when I talk to my friends who aren't Christians, and I tell them I'm praying for them. I get nervous about this. I get nervous, because what if I pray and God's got a bigger plan for their life? that doesn't include him saying yes to what I'm praying for. Are you with me? Like, and it's kind of hard, right? Um, and so at moments like that, I'm trying to, like I tell the Lord, okay, Lord, I understand that you might not say yes to this, but Lord, this person doesn't have any faith or has kiddie pool faith, so can we meet him there? Can we meet her there? You know, let's condescend, because it's appropriate for them. Um, I've seen just this week how to answer really specific and wonderful ways. Um, but, so kiddie pool faith says, look, I'm with you, Lord, as long as nothing bad happens, as long as my life gets better. As long as my life gets better. I think what can happen to us, and this is where um, I feel like this kind of hits home, is that when we spend too much time in the kiddie pool, when we are not constantly growing or making efforts to grow, closer to Jesus, to get into deeper waters. What can end up happening is that as refreshing as this can be, it can get boring. Right? Kiddie pool faith can become 
stagnant. And what can happen is, because we're not looking forward and going deeper with God, what happens sometimes is maybe just looking around, and we start looking at other people. And we can get critical. We can get critical of others. Where instead of looking forward to the Lord, we just look at other people, and we begin to become critical. We begin to get bitter. We begin to get angry. We compare ourselves. Right? That's kiddie pool faith. That's kiddie pool faith. And the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems, I mean, in addition to the stuff we've already talked about, is that what happens when you have kiddie pool faith, these folks, they're missing out. They are missing out. These people that this author is writing to, he's got such a passion for because they're missing out. It's not just that they don't belong here anymore. It's that they're missing Man, there is so much more to God. There is so much more to God. If you're standing here in the kiddie pool, the author's saying, look, you know what? There is an ocean. And I want you to learn to swim. There to an ocean fullness. Like, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. So they're saying, look, there is so much more, and you're missing out. There is so much more to the deep, deep love that Jesus invites you into. There is love, there is mystery, there is wonder in the gospel. There is a depth of the gospel that goes so much deeper than this. There's a breadth to the gospel that goes so much wider includes so many more people. It covers so many more situations. And you're stuck. You're stuck. There's a mystery and a wonder to prayer. Right? A relationship with God where you speak to Him or you hear Him speak to you. There's a mystery there that can't be plumbed, that can't be understood in the kingdom. God has a mission in this world. God is actively seeking to renew the world. Okay, it's not just a harbor vision, it's God's vision. God's design is to bring spiritual renewal to hearts of people, to bring social renewal to neighborhoods and communities, and to bring cultural renewal to the workplace. God wants his Fullness manifested in these places. The author says, but you guys, you're stuck in the kiddie pool. Verse 11, I have so much to say to you about this, but it's hard to explain because you become dull of hearing. You don't want to grow. You're afraid. Now, if you're in the kiddie pool, the ocean is a dangerous place. Right? Deeper waters are dangerous. But this deeper water, this is where God is leading you. This is where God is leading you. You can become mature. You can have a robust faith and a deep relationship with God. And that relationship with God, it can give you a hope, a robust, a full-orb hope 
and it will transform you and, and it will change your perspective on everything in your life. It can change everything. You know, this hope of Jesus, the deeper water, it brings deep and personal affirmation. Okay? Not only does it cover your sin, but it affirms you who you are and it causes you to grow. This deeper water, it causes you to enter into relationships and where you are strong enough to serve others. You're not in there for what you can get, but you're in relationship for what you can give. This deeper water, it makes you humble and confident because you're resting on God's truth. This deeper water, when you swim in it, it makes you humble in your relationships with folks who don't know Jesus. You serve them. Your front face is to serve and care for people so that they can see Jesus sometime before you tell them about Jesus. These deeper waters drive you to a life of service. They make you about serving. It's about serving. And in this deeper water, it affirms the goodness and the meaning of your work. It changes the way you think about what you do for a living. These things aren't easy, but they are meaningful. Donald Miller spoke at a Storyline conference last weekend, and um, I heard him at Point Loma at Pastor's Day at an event, and he said, you know what? Um, he said, our, our society is filled with people, um, some who haven't achieved their goals, but a bunch who have, and they're still not happy because their goals aren't meaningful. They haven't set meaningful goals. That was his own testimony. He said, by the time I was 35, I had achieved all of my goals and I wasn't happy because none of my goals were meaningful. This hope that Jesus gives, this water, this deeper water that Jesus invites us into, this brings meaning into every part of our life. But it's not easy. This is part of the deeper water. This is Paul's reflections on living and, and, and walking and swimming in the deeper water. He said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. I love that. Because he says, you know what, the reality of life with Jesus, the reality of the deeper waters is that we're going to suffer. That life is hard. But that's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. In the midst of our suffering, God is with us. In the midst of our suffering, we're actually learning more about Jesus. He is becoming closer and closer to us, which makes our suffering meaningful. He says we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our lives. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So what Paul is saying here is, he's saying, look, you might start out, I mean, in fact, I think all of us do. All of us come to Jesus initially for what we can get. Right? We need forgiveness. We need hope. We need meaning. We need power. We need freedom. We need assurance. Right? We all come to Jesus for what we can get. But Jesus wants to turn us. 
overjoyed to pour his grace into our lives. But, as some of you may remember, every blessing that Jesus gives us comes with a handle and a spout. Right? Every blessing that Jesus gives us turns our cups into pitchers so that we will begin to pour out for others. Right? The deeper water, our suffering becomes an opportunity, an opportunity to actually show how much you love Jesus, how much more Jesus is worth than your suffering, how much you love God and that you're willing to endure anything for him because he endured everything Right? The love of Jesus that knows no bounds produces in us a love that knows no bounds. And so it's interesting. Um, we actually had somebody in our life group as we're sharing spiritual journeys. Um, I can tell you who they are. But um, somebody shared, shared his spiritual journey. He had drifted away in his relationships in the church. And he said this. He said, I'm tired of not seeing God show up in our lives. He used to. He walked back and he spent the time in the kiddie pool. This is good if you're brand new following Jesus. But there's deeper waters. There's a place where you step out and God shows up in your life. It's interesting because this, in this context, the writer here, he's not so much even trying to get you to understand something, but he's actually pushing you beyond just understanding. He wants these people to be teaching others. Right? He says, by now, teachers. Verse 12, by this time, you ought to be teachers. He's saying, y'all have experienced Jesus. You have an experience of Jesus that other people need to hear about. I want you teaching other people. Right? This is God's goal. Right? God's goal is that you become not just a cup that's filled to overflowing, but you become a pitcher and you're pouring in to others. This is the goal. God blesses you so that you can bless others. This is how it works. And it's, it's really interesting because at the end of verse 14, uh, where it says, verse 14, the solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That phrase, good from evil, this is really interesting. I need you to kind of track with me. This is pretty cool, very important. Opens up something that's kind of mysterious in the Bible, okay? So, good and evil, this is not just morality. Okay, this isn't, oh, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. Thou shalt be this, thou shalt not do this. That's not what the, the phrase good and evil means in the scriptures. Okay, and I'll, I'll prove it to you. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 3, this is a conversation between God and King Solomon. Okay? King Solomon, who was the wisest person who ever lived outside of Jesus, but he wasn't yet, okay? 
So God says to Solomon, he says, Solomon, you have done so wonderfully. You've been so amazing. I'm going to give you whatever you want. So you know how we always say God's not a genie? Don't treat him like an ATM machine. Well, this is one place where God actually offers himself in that way. He says, whatever you want, Solomon, I'll give you anything. Okay? And this is what Solomon asks for. He says, give your servant, therefore, he's talking about himself, give me your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this? Your great people. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. So what I want you to see here, this is very significant. Give me an understanding mind to govern your people so that I may discern between good and evil. So the phrase good and evil, discerning, distinguishing between good and evil, what this is, this is having the wisdom and the ability to rule. A distinguishing good and evil is the ability to lead, to rule, to teach. But it's all related. Okay? God's response here, just so you can see. And God said to him, Because you've asked for this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, now I do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. That's just cool. <laughs> this is the God that we love. This is the God who, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. God gives to all generously and without reproach. He doesn't mind. God isn't irritated when you ask him for more wisdom. God is super excited to pour out wisdom on those who ask him. And that's what he does here. That's what he does here. So, this idea is to lead others, to teach others, is to disciple others. And there's one other thing about this phrase, good and evil, in Hebrews 5.14. That phrase, good and evil, Good and evil, good and evil, good and evil, good and evil. Any other bells in scripture ringing for anybody? The garden. Right, the garden. Didn't that have something to do with a tree? Right? Wasn't there a tree in the garden? It was the tree of life, but it was always there was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? I have much to say about this, but I don't have time. <laughs> um, but let me just say this. I believe that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was put in the garden, not just to be a testing period, not just to be this one thing that's not touchable so God can test to see if they're going to be obedient. Uh, I think it's, it's, far, it's far deeper than that. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a tree, I believe, that God was going to permit Adam and Eve to partake of after they had demonstrated maturity. God gave them responsibility. Subdue the earth, fill it, be fruitful, multiply. I want you to name the animals. They were, they were exercising leadership. And I think there was going to be a point in time, this is part of what is called by some the covenant of works before the fall, was that I think God was offering to Adam and Eve that if they were obedient, they were faithful to this covenant and faithful to God, 
they would have been able to participate, to partake of, that tree would not have been forbidden forever. Because I think God would have said at some point in the future, you now have the knowledge of good and evil. And so that tree, I think, was like, uh, it was a symbol that they were in a test. It was a symbol that there was even more of God's blessing that he wanted them to experience. And with that would have come a greater ability to lead, a greater ability to rule. And so like I said, I don't have any more time to talk about that, but um, if you want to come up and ask me about it afterwards, you can. So this is what God's desire is for us. I mean, that's what's amazing is that God wants us to be this mature. God wants us to be able to distinguish between good and evil. He wants you to be able to teach others. He wants you to be able to encourage others, to disciple others, to have an influence on other people. That's his goal. That's his desire for every one of us. And so, so, what do we do? The text tells us we need to train ourselves. We need to train ourselves. Verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Trained by constant practice. Oh man, I had a quote, it didn't make it, oh, it didn't make it on the slides, by Thomas Edison. I saw it just last night, actually. Um, it says, so many people have, so many people meet maturity and meaning in their lives, but they miss it because it's dressed in overalls and a tool in their hands. I just blew it, sorry. That's going to be great. That's going to be an amazing quote. The Spirit's going to come down, fill your heart. You'll be so inspired. I just ruined it. Um, I should look it up on my phone. Um, he basically said, we miss it. We miss maturity. We miss meaning in life because when the opportunity to actually have meaning, when the opportunity to grow comes, it's dressed in work clothes. And we don't want to work. Just want to work. If it's hard, no, I don't want to do it. That's kiddie pool thing. If you want to grow, growing spiritually takes work. Okay? If you want to grow in your faith, it takes work. It's not easy. He says here it's by constant practice. Trained by constant practice. Here's a quote I did this. First Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irrelevant or irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself, same word, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's a good word. And I don't want any of you guilty of this. I don't want any of you guilty of regressing back into the kiddie pool. Okay, some of you are here because you're brand new. That's awesome. You belong here. There's blessing here. But as you grow, God's going to ask you to go deeper. He's going to ask you to go deeper. But for the rest of you, I, just, I don't want any of you guilty of having this said about you. I mean, this is why we're revising our groups. This is why we're doing life groups. 
Okay, so we can do this together. Okay, all of us. If I don't have somebody to run with, I don't run. It just doesn't happen. If I don't have a workout buddy, I don't work out. Or I work out like a fraction of the amount of time that I would if I had somebody to run with. And that's how it is spiritually. I mean, we get that. We, it's okay if that's how you are. Just embrace it and understand it. That's why we're doing these life groups, is because we want to do this together. We want to learn and grow so that we can develop the knowledge of good and evil. Right? So that we can learn to be teachers. And so this is what we're going to be doing starting this week. Okay, starting this week in most of the life groups. I'm going to show you. This is what we're going to do. The first week of every month. Okay, you remember we had four themes? We're going to go by week. So the first week of every month, we're going to be doing a curriculum called Following Jesus together, okay? And what this curriculum is going to go through, again, once a month, the first week of every month, um, we're going to talk about, in this curriculum, we're going to have lessons, one a week, or I'm sorry, one a month. We're going to talk about the deep waters of God, God's story, the deep waters of God's grace and God's character, coming face to face with God. It's God's story and our wholehearted response to it, Okay? In the months to come, we're going to be looking at the deep waters of you. Who are you? What is your story? What are your gifts? What has God done in your life? We've already begun that with sharing our spiritual journeys. But we're going to go deeper into your spiritual gifts, your strengths, your shape. Like, how has God wired you? The deep waters of mission. You know, what part of God's mission does God want you to play? And how will it look different for you? Okay, this isn't one size fits all. And this is every single one of us uniquely shaped, uniquely gifted by God to be a part of his mission. We want you to understand what that is, what it looks like for you, so that you can say, wow, I'm working with God. I'm swimming in the deep waters. And then the deep waters of discipleship. How do you have a spiritual influence on somebody else? How do you help them to grow? How do you Take responsibility in some ways for someone else's spiritual health. We're going to teach you to do that the first week of every month as we go through this following Jesus together curriculum. We're not doing the curriculum every week because honestly, some of these truths are so deep that it will take us a month to think through them, to apply them, to walk in them. We'll be doing other things the other weeks in our life groups. Okay, but the first week of the month is going to set the tone, set the theme, um, and we're excited about it. Um, so this, this following Jesus together curriculum that we've done, we've actually brought our leaders through that already. They've been through it. I want to just, just read to you some of their responses. Okay, I asked them, hey guys, I'm preaching on this this Sunday. Can you just give me some honest feedback? And, you know, I'm sure they said all the good things and maybe not some of the bad things, but, but here it is. Let me just give you a couple of quotes. Um, Stephen, I was skeptical when I started this because of all the changes both on staff and in the body. It was a low season for me, and the Lord told me to go and see. So I came on those Thursday mornings, my goodness, 7 a.m., and left feeling excited and curious. This has been so encouraging for me personally. Each lesson builds on the other. It's a beautiful combination of gospel, clarifying of gifts and strengths that equip and release a believer into his or her sphere of influence. This is leader-building material, and it was life-changing for me. 
It's an amazing vehicle to unify both uptown and downtown into a community of faith that can change the face of San Diego. So if we have a book that we're going to give you, like that'd be on the cover, right? Um, here's one other one. Uh, the discipleship curriculum, all in Jesus together, it's much more than lessons about God. It's a living lab that puts legs on the lessons. Walking with God and each other has become an adventure that gives new meaning and urgency to the prayer, thy kingdom come. So we've been, I've been working really hard. Michael and I have been working together as we look at, at, at trying to help disciple our whole church. Right? So that all of us can swim in these deep waters. We've been training our leaders. They're ready. Um, we want you to join us. We want you to join us in these groups. We're asking you to come into the deep waters and come together. This is what we're aiming for. You know, and I can only begin to imagine what some of the hesitation might be. Um, but I can tell you that the invitation into deeper waters, that comes from Jesus. And Jesus, when you think about him, this is where the gospel comes into this process. When you think about Jesus, He swam in the deepest waters. He was plunged down into the deepest waters of God's love. There are parts of the deep waters of God that go beyond our understanding. They go down, the farther down you go, the more pressure there is, the more that the weight of the water above you crushes you. But Jesus is willing to go into the depths, into the deepest parts of the ocean, in a mission of love so that he could receive that crushing weight of our sin. Jesus has gone all the way down. He's touched the bottom of your sin and of mine so that when he asks us to step out of the kiddie pool, when he asks us to step out of faith, he can guarantee you that he's gone deeper than you will ever have to. And he will be with you no matter how deep